0: inside books with Breda Brown.
1: Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Brida Brown and I'm an avid book lover. I really love listening to authors tell their story. So in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to well-known authors and we also update you on other news from the books world. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, ensuring you never miss an episode. Our Twitter handle is at Inside books IRE, where you'll also find news about some great book events happening around the country. Later in the programme, we'll be talking to Ronan McGreevy, the Irish Times journalist, about his role in editing Centenary, a new book commissioned by the government to document the celebrations that took place to commemorate the 1916 Easter Rising. But first, Carmel Harrington has written a number of bestsellers, including The Things I Should Have Told You, The Life You Left, and her latest, The Woman at 72 Derry Lane. Carmel was also handpicked recently to write Cold Feet, The Last Years, a novel that tells the fans of the TV series what exactly the characters got up to during the long 13 years they were off our television screens. Carmel, we'll talk about your other novels in a moment, but the Cold Feet book, how did that come about?
2: Do you know what? It was a complete and utter surprise and something, um, it wasn't even on my radar. My agent um, called me earlier this year and asked me, was I a fan of Cold Feet? Um, I said yes, which I, like, truthfully, I watched Cold Genuine fan. Yeah, genuine fan. I mean, I watched it back in the 90s, um, you know, for that original first series. And it actually became, I'm from Wexford and um, used to rent a house with four other girls. And it became a thing. We were all country girls from different parts of the country. And we'd go back on a Sunday evening, pour a glass of wine, catch up on... The important stuff that happened at the weekend, <laughs> yes. like, you know, boyfriends and stuff like that. And then we'd switch on the TV and watch Cold Feet. And it was just kind of one of those escapism little programs that became synonymous with the end of the week, beginning of the next week, if you like. So when Rowan, my agent, asked me was a fan, I was like, yeah, of course I am. No idea where the next part was going. And then she told me about this plan to ITV wanted somebody, they were commissioning somebody to write this standalone novel Um that would pick up the story from two thousand and three when that first series ended, and um and try and bring us a little bit up to date as to what happened in those intervening years, and she said we we think you'd be perfect in the agency, and I genuinely thought like oh, no way they won't pick an Irish writer for this mm. you know because it's set in Manchester yeah but um anyhow very long story short I my name was put in the hat, they read I think it was the things I should have told you, um this team and in ITV and they enjoyed it and they asked me to write a sample piece. And um, I wrote a 4,000 word sample piece, which went to Mike Bullen, who's the creator of Cold Feet and the team at ITV. And they had shortlisted, I think, about a dozen writers and they chose mine. Wow. Amazing. Considering, yeah. as you said, just came out of the blue like that. Totally came out of the blue. I mean, it really um, it's quite it's quite a new thing, actually, because, you know, obviously we have lots of. Movies made from books, but books written from TV series is a slightly different thing because we've always had novelizations, which is whereby um, authors will be asked to pick up a character. Um, like there's loads of novelizations of some of the superheroes, you know, like Superman, etc. Um, but what they're doing is they're almost re- relaying the stuff that we see on the TV screens, and they're actually making, you know, they're making it into a novel. This was slightly different because it was completely original. So the characters were the same, obviously, um, in Cold Feet, but what happened to them was all original content. So how much free reign did you have on deciding what the story would be in terms of their backstory? Do you know what? I pretty much had free reign. I mean, within certain constraints, as in I had to keep them all alive, obviously, till 2016, because they're all alive in 2016. Um, So, But other than that, um, I had to stay true and loyal to, I think, the tone of the show. Um, and also to the characters. So I couldn't have them go off on a complete tangent. But the, the actual storyline was my own. Um, when when I was offered the contract with um, Hodder and Stoughton, who were the publishers who took this on board, and I spoke to the editor, she said, I'd love to hear your thoughts as to what you would do. Um, So I pitched my idea and um, where I'd like to bring each of the characters and she said, well, what I have, I've just thrown in the bin because we're going to go with yours. It's great. So I was thrilled.
1: So how then, you know, you're already a fan of the show, as you said. So did that actually make it
2: more difficult or make it easier? I think it made it easier. It was it was actually fun, really, because what I did was I got the box set and kind of binge watched the series from start to finish. And it was gas watching those earlier episodes. You know the ones um, from like the nineties. Yeah, and and even though obviously the clothes and stuff like that have changed a lot, they haven't really dated the content, the dialogue between the characters. You know that really hadn't changed, and that was quite wonderful to catch up with those and. What that did, it actually brought the characters to life in my head. So as soon as I started to write Adam's character, um, Jenny and Pete's character, like their voices were very, I could hear their voices in my head very, very quickly. And when I write novels, that's the tricky part for me, to bring the characters to life. And once they start speaking to me and I hear their unique tone and lyrical content of their voices, then the story begins to make sense. And you also got to go on set for the the latest series, which is great. Do you know, I got the invitation um, from the Cold Feet team and they were filming in Manchester and they said, look, why don't you come over? Um, So I went over about three quarters of the way into, you know, the the, the edits of the book. um, But it gave me a chance to go back, having met these people in the flesh and kind of, you know, I did change a few things and actually they're such a lovely family, this Cold Feet team, the crew, all of the crew, all of the cast and they work so closely together that um, they just welcomed, myself and my husband Roger went and they welcomed us onto the set and we were just treated like one of the gang and it was just the most fun day. It and really your was.
1: characters were materialising in front of you
2: right they there. They really were and it kind of helped as well because I mean, when Jimmy Nesbitt came on set, he walked onto the set clicking his fingers and singing a song mm-hmm. and I thought like he just sings so much so I put a lot of music into the book like because you know, his character does sing a lot mm-hmm. um, but he sings a lot in real life Life, that's kind of who he is. It's part of, he's always humming a tune. So so I was able to kind of throw that in too. So it was really nice to see their mannerisms. And know. was that a one-off in terms of this book now, or is there an opportunity to do another one? I really don't know. There is talk of more oh. and we shall have to see. And I, I'm not being coy. I really, not, I think that what I did was when I said I'd do the book and I was really honoured to do it and thrilled to do it. And, um, you know, I thought it was a huge opportunity. But 13 years is a long time and I didn't really want to skim over the years so what I asked was I said you know if if I do this book can I just concentrate on the year following like 2003, 2004 and I really wanted to look at because Adam's character his wife has just died Rachel and he's this newly single father with a young baby and I thought that's quite an interesting dynamic to explore and I didn't want to just skim over that oh yeah he was sad for a year and now he's not kind of effort So, so they agreed they said yeah do that so I think there's definitely scope for further books um, down the line, I, I know, somebody joked and said you could do 16, no. Oh, okay, that <laughs> no. might be a lot. <laughs> that might be a lot, no, but, <laughs> yeah. but maybe another one, maybe. Brilliant, but I was going to say your writing journey actually only started probably, what, about five years ago? A little bit longer than that, about, it's it's as old as the children are, so my <laughs> daughter is seven and my son is six. Because so I was going to say, it feels like you've been around an awful lot longer, I and I actually, I mean that though in a really good way. Thank you, thank you. Well, I kind of, I, I sometimes feel like the oldest newbie in town almost, you know. Um, but so how, um, did, how did it start then? Do you know, I've always, I've always been writing, but I was very much a closet writer. Um, I, had, I had absolutely no faith in myself. Genuinely, I didn't. And um, I've been on, you know, people say about this word journey and go, cringe or whatever, but I have because um, I was the shy girl in school. And if you looked at my report cards, every report card said the same thing. Carmel is too quiet. Carmel needs to speak up more. Um, but I lived a lot in my own head. I was always creating stories in my head and I always had a journal and I was always writing stories. And I wanted to be a writer desperately from... I can't remember a time when I didn't want to be a writer. Um, but I, So why then did it take so long to translate that onto the page? I couldn't say it out loud to anybody, not even my parents. I was so shy about it and I just... Crippling shyness really is the is the major thing. So I think, if anything, it proves that you're never too old to to start something new and and chase a dream. But but it was actually the turning point came. Um, I had over the years. So many times I went, this is the year, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And then something would happen where I got in my own way and I talked myself out of it. Mm. So I had half written. And it's easy th- to do that. So easy. Mm-hmm. And 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 unfortunately, sometimes that self-doubt, it's an awful thing, really. And, and it can be the loudest voice in your head. But I'd half written a number of books. And um, then at one point, I actually wrote a full draft of what became my first novel, Beyond Grace's Rainbow, and showed it to about two people. But when I when I met my husband, I told him he was the first person I actually said out loud to, you know, this is what I really want to do. This is who I want to be. And um, he's my biggest kind of cheerleader and supporter. And he was quite instrumental. He kept saying to me, you must do this. I hadn't read my book or anything all He knew I was rubbish, but he kept saying you must do this He great faith in me. God bless him. But um, but it was actually after I had my daughter, Amelia, and she was quite young and um she was asleep in her cot and they're so sweet you know she was just lying starfish you know hands above her head and um, I was looking at her in uh, kind of asleep and thinking to myself where are you going to be in life and what is your future what are your skills going to be and I was just having a moment as a mother and then it just struck me I am a dreadful example to her. Like, Mm -hmm. I've had this dream now for nearly 40 years and I've done nothing about it and I have to lead by example. So I kind of walked into my husband and um, said, oh, Amelia's asleep and I'm going to be an author. And he was like, Oh, he kind of was like that. He went, oh, he said, I'm going to open a bottle of wine. And it was kind of that. And of course, that was um, whatever, just over seven years ago. But I did throw myself into it. And you self-published the first one. I did because I have no patience either. I mean, when I say I'm going to do something, I like to do it immediately. And once I made up my mind, I thought I'm not stopping for anything. Um, And the very next day, we always get the, you know, the weekend papers and we got the Sunday Independent. and There was this huge article about how um, the publishing world in Ireland had just vanished. Um, which of course, seven years ago, reading it really had, mm. and I thought, well, now I picked a fine time now to get, find my ambition. Um, but at the same time, people had started to self-publish, so I was one of the first to do it in Ireland, and there weren't—I had no clue what I was doing. And how did it, how many did it sell? It sold quite a lot, actually. You know, it sold about a hundred thousand. But what happened was, it sold as an ebook only. I didn't do any paperback. I didn't want to have like a hundred books under my stairs gathering mm-hmm. dust. So there was no there was no financial outlay. Um, and, and I did quite well. And I got an agent and a book deal very quickly. It was only on sale as an ebook, self-published for six months. But do you think if you hadn't self-published, the journey may not have continued? Absolutely. I think that it was the right thing for me at the time. And I know it's not the right thing for everybody. But at the time, it certainly got me noticed. It got me an agent and certainly in turn got me um, at least read. I think, you know, that publishers, my, my publisher has said, and I've the same... Um, editor now from that first book right up to now. But she said that when she read my book, um, because it had done well as a self-published book, it went to the top of her slush pile. So it definitely got, oh, got read quicker um, because it had done well. Um, and then of course you know, she she loved the story thankfully. Um, and how many have you written now at this point? Um, well I'm ri- f- almost finished writing my seventh, Ooh. which is li- next year's book. You know, we won't see that till till the autumn of 2018. But we're always a year ahead in publishing. Um, but Cold Feet was my sixth one. That's the last one I wrote. And the other one on the shelf at the moment then is The Woman at 72 Dairy Lane. I know, I'm very greedy. Two books in one year. <laughs> <but> <laughs> and have you gone into a bookshop and seen them side by side, chance? Yeah, I did. Do you know what? I went into the Book Centre in Wexford um, which is an absolutely beautiful bookshop. I'm very supportive of local writers but when Cold Feet came out, um, both Gary Lane was still in their bestsellers charts and, and Cold Feet went into their bestsellers charts. So they were both beside each other um, on their bestseller shelves. And it was one of those ones I took a picture of. It, I, I was going to say, had to get a selfie at yeah, that one. I, I didn't selfie. I'm, I'm rubbish at selfies. <laughs> I never manage those properly. You know, it's just really bad. And do you write quite quickly then? It sounds like, I mean, OK, seven years, seven books, but it is quite, quite quick. Um I think it what it is is that I would I'm quite dedicated and I'm um, I'm quite stubborn and that when I decide to do something I do it. Um, for me, I was contracted to do a book a year, so kind of stuck to that. Um, Cold Feet was a very strange one really Um, Cold Feet I wrote quicker than any other book but I think that's because the characters were established the location was established everything like the world that they live in I didn't have to create It was already there Yeah whereas um, writing The Woman at 72 Dairy Lane took a lot more time because I had to do a huge amount of research because apart from getting the characters right um, I was writing um, both in Ireland and in Thailand so so there was a lot of research went on um, to get that right Um, so it took longer to do that but I think once, I, once I'm once i in the zone, once the characters are alive and well, um, I tend to write. I can do three to 5,000 words a day easily. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. seems quite a lot. It is quite a lot, I think. Every and then, day? Ev- every day. I kind of have to, really, you know, to get that first draft done. I, You know, I like to have my first draft done in, in about six months. Mm-hmm. And then I have another six months for edits and stuff like that. And what's your favourite part of writing? My favourite part of writing... Actually, I love the editing. I love um, going back, um, having stepped away for a few weeks, so that you're going back to read the book with that's reader's right. eyes, yeah, rather than writer's eyes. And um the odd time you get a nice surprise and you read a piece that you've written and you went, Ooh, that wasn't bad. <laughs> that was nice. Thank you, Carol. And you kind of that's nice. Um and then you do a lot of deleting. But it's kinda nice. It's like putting the sparkle, you know, um it's just The polish. It's polishing it really. And um I quite find that quite satisfying to get rid of words. Um, And I also find it quite fascinating, just the geek part of me, um, there is always words that I overuse. Every novel, there's a different word Mm -hmm. that I overuse. Um, Anything, whether it's so at the beginning of a sentence and you're like, Okay, and you don't realise it
1: until you go back and reread. No, you don't. So the next one, you what,
2: what stage you at with that now at the moment? So book seven, um, I am almost completed, ready to hand it in. Um, the first draft into well, it's not the first, it won't be the first draft, but, my, but the first draft that the editor, my editor, will see. And can we have a hint of a topic? Yeah, sure. I mean, my books are always issue driven. Um, if you take aside um, Cold Feet, which which, but the other um, five books have all been issue driven, and um, this is no different. And really, the issue here is how. Homelessness, but I'm trying to look at it, or I am looking at it with a fresh pair of eyes. Um, I think that people are homeless for very different reasons, and quite often they're stereotyped, and that's not always um, why people are on the streets. Um, and being homeless can mean different things. It doesn't necessarily mean you're on the streets, it can be social housing, you know, through hotel emergency accommodation. So I'm trying to look at a number of factors there. But at the heart of it, there are two very special people, um, Thomas and Ruth. And um, it says, their lives as they impact each other. We're just going to have to wait till next year to find out what you happens. You will, you <laughs> will,
1: yeah. And then just before we let you go, you've actually teamed up with a couple of other writers yeah. to create something called The
2: Inspiration Project and it's happening in January of 2018. So what is it? Well, do you know what? When you put three good friends together who happen to be writers and you give them gin, that's what this <laughs> is. <laughs> it's, kind of so it's, it's you, it's Catherine Ryan Howard who's the crime author and Hazel Gaynor. Yeah, and both uh, they're both dear friends of mine and um, we, we just kind of work we're good friends and um you have to have your tribe in this industry because writing is quite solitary and they're certainly my they're they're, they're my tribe You're and cheerleaders. They're, they're my cheerleaders and that's one of the words we have used so um for the inspiration project we're cheerleaders now for this whole new group of writers who are going to come along we were sitting down one night and we were just chatting and I actually said to them I said look at you know when I started to write there was nowhere for me to go to no one for me to ask you know um the questions that you don't hear at literary festivals um, the questions you don't hear in the newspapers the things that you kind of like only what? Well, you know what? When you write a book and you get your book deal it all sounds fine and dandy, but there's so much more to it. Even how to handle media, mm-hmm. how um, how to handle book reviews, um, how to navigate your second book, what happens next, how to navigate dealing with a publisher. Like it's a very different industry. And I came from sales and marketing, but it's very different in the industry I was in is very different to dealing with publishers. They work to a very different timetable, understanding contracts, understanding the money. I like, think there's so many things like that that people don't talk about. So... What we kind of thought would be kind of cool was what if we could create a, a retreat, but a retreat that's different. So somewhere where we will challenge you to work on your writing, um, hopefully inspire you to to reach for that dream that you've always um, kind of wanted, um, but also answer some of those questions and give you some real information that you can't necessarily get um, in one of those books that you get in the library.
1: And to feel that you can ask those questions within a group setting. In a then. set environment. Exactly. And even you may feel that the questions may be silly or everybody else knows the mm. answer to them and, and you feel you don't. But actually you soon find out. Nobody knows the answer sometimes and uh, it's great to be able to just discuss them. You know? Yeah,
2: and that's it. And what we wanted to show as well, um, that you quite often hear in the media at the moment that you can't um, make a living as a writer. You can't be a successful writer. But um, but Hazel, Catherine and I, we're all full time writers and we are making a living. Um, no, I'm not saying that we're buying houses in the south of France. No, not at all. Yet, but but we, are, hey. we are earning a salary and it is possible. It's not all doom and gloom. It is possible to have a career as a writer and have a successful career as a writer. But to do that, you have to work hard, you have to be able to write and um, and you have to you have to understand the business side of it, too. so there's there's a number of areas I think that you need to be strong in. And, and you can learn some of those and and know. it's in Wexford, which is your your home county. Oh, yeah, sure, cause always I have to always push Wexford, don't I? You know <laughs> exactly. oh, I love Wexford. Um, I got married in the Seafield Hotel, and so I was a huge fan of this hotel. And I said to the ladies when we were discussing venues, I thought like this it's not that far out of Dublin, you know, it's it, you know, it is commutable. Um, so we have a beautiful package there, and like the library, they have this beautiful room called the library and we have that reserved and we're having a drinks reception with an open fire. You can imagine in January. So as people arrive, we want people um, to give them time to find their own tribes. Alex, yeah. And if they find their own tribes too, you know, that's how you motivate each other and push each other And push where, where can people get details? The f- details are at theinspirationproject.ie um, and all the information is on the website and further events. We, you know, we, we, we will be doing more events than these because the, the response has been phenomenal.
1: Great. Well, well done. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Inside Books. And don't forget that the woman at 72 Dairy Lane and Cold Feet, the last years, are probably side by side (laughs) in your local bookshop at the moment. Thank you.
0: Follow us on Twitter on Inside Books IRE or email us on insidebooks at uniquemedia.ie.
1: Centenary is a new book that documents the 2016 celebrations that took place at home and abroad of the 1916 Easter Rising. It was commissioned by the government and demonstrates the wide breadth of events 3,500 in Ireland alone that took place to mark this pivotal moment in our history. The book captures the stories, the voices and the images of the celebrations and is essentially a snapshot of 2016. The book was edited by Rona McGreevy, the Irish Times journalist. And Rona, first of interest, really, how did you get involved in the project?
0: Well, Breda, since uh, the decade of centenaries started in uh, 2012, I've been uh, doing a lot of stuff around the various different uh, centenaries as they've come up. Um, And obviously in 2016, I was at so many different commemoration events. In 2016 too, I... um, Edited a book, uh, was it for this, Reflections on the Easter Rising, which is an anthology of commentary on the Easter Rising from the pages of the Irish Times since 1916. And I'm open to correction on this, but I think it's the only book that is actually about what the Easter Rising meant as opposed to what happened. So that book was done with, um, uh, uh, it uh, uh, was a partnership between the Irish Times and Ireland 2016, which ran the commemorations very well as it turns out on behalf of the government so uh, in July 2016 John Concannon, who was the director of Ireland 2016 approached me and said look we're thinking of doing a book on the centenaries would you be interested in editing it and I said yes
1: I assume you were probably
0: quite honoured, were you? Uh, it's, it's a singular honour to be involved in this and you know, he was joking to me that this will be your legacy, etc, etc. Well, I mean, certainly um, it, it, it's, it's without a doubt the, 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 the greatest honour that I've, I've ever had in my life to, to be involved with it.
1: And it's a phenomenal looking book. I mean, it's nearly 400 pages. It's, it's quite large. It's hardback. It's beautiful. Um, quite a mammoth task. How did you actually approach it?
0: Well, I, I I started writing the book in July, uh, twenty sixteen, after the last event ended, which was the uh, uh, national conference in NUI Galway. Uh, some of the events that needed to be covered were obvious, like the Easter Sunday celebrations uh, in in uh, also reflecting the rising that mammoth event on Easter Monday. Obviously, the different events surrounding, say, the execution of the leaders of the rising. Um, also, um, you know, the I was down in Banner Strand for the. Roger caseman casement commemorations they were fantastic so there was there was a lot of events which were obvious the, the, the issue was not to me was not um, what events we should put into the book it's what events we should leave out there were three and a half thousand events it was the biggest mass commemora- uh, participation around a single theme that the Irish people have ever indulged in and you know when you think about all the schools that were involved in it when you think of all the community events that happened um, and and trying to filter it down into, say, um, say... 20 or 30 events was was quite challenging but then so I decided to, one of the approaches I would take was that I would take one event and then I would include in it uh, events with a similar theme for instance the O'Donovan Rossa commemoration which is the first one in the book is from August 2015 there was a lot of events both in Ireland and in the United States around uh, him uh, International Women's Day on uh, I had obviously there was a huge amount of scholarship and events around women and then obviously sport as well. You have the wonderful uh, event in Crow Park, lecra in, in Crow Park and then I, I built a sort of uh, narrative around the different sport events.
1: You also though had an editorial advisory board and actually Dr. Morris Manning was leading yeah. that so did that help in terms of having a sounding board there?
0: I have to say, um, yeah, the, the, it was important. There was, I wouldn't say there was that much controversy about it but there was obviously, there was a lot of people involved in this book I was just one person. I mean, the Royal Irish Academy, my colleagues uh, uh, Ruth Hegarty and and Jeff Wilson were involved. And then you had the editorial board with Morris and so many others. And generally speaking, they left me to my own uh, devices. There was, you know, there was occasional issues, should we include this photograph? Does this narrative really matter? And so on. I have to say, you know, and this has been honest about it. I mean, given the number of departments that were, Uh, uh, that were involved in putting into the book like the Department of Arts Education Foreign Affairs etc it was actually a a remarkably smooth process and um, you know we, we all genuinely worked with one goal in mind which was to produce the best book we could produce on their writing.
1: And how much of it did you actually write?
0: Well all the uh, all the narratives in the book uh, around the different um, so it's 25 different chapters uh, 25 different events starting with Donovan Rossa and ending with the National Conference in NUI Galway. So I would have written the narrative around all of them but to me the critical Part in the book was the uh, uh, the the contributions from contributors, people who had been involved in the year, whether they were relatives or actors, or um, artists or whatever, um, politicians. That was the critical part, and I would have, in some cases, you know, interviewed those people and then written it up and sent it back to them, and so on and so forth. Um, so but I would have had an input into all that they said as well. Um, and you know, really to me, that the book was about, I think, well, the reason the commemorations were success, they were a grassroots success. The, the government proposed, but the people disposed, and it was them that made. The uh, made the commemoration successful. So to me, it was important to get ordinary people into this book who had a connection with the rising,
1: which you did. And there's some fabulous mm. testimonies in there um, with people who who did play a part in the commemorations. Photography is also huge in the book, as well as illustrations and drawings. So that was obviously important as well.
0: Well, to me, uh, as I said in the book, you know, the the the, the, the photographs tell the story. The words pr- provide the context. I mean, we were fortunate to have. Um, the the best photographers. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of photographs taken during that year, and you know, myself and particularly my colleague in the Royal Irish Academy, Jeff Wilson, we worked really, really hard on getting the right images. I remember being up one <laughs> night after midnight. Searching Google, putting in the words Easter, Easter Rising and various different cities in the United States, and coming up with a beautiful image from Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, which held an event to mark uh, the centenary. Um, and like that was the way we we, we approached it. We we had so many photographs to choose from so we we really chose the best ones. I I like to think that there's not a bad photograph in this book and there are lots of really beautiful ones.
1: And how long did it take to write? You said that you sort of started around July of 2016 so how long did it take?
0: Well, I suppose six months on and off. I mean, I took uh, five weeks off work in, in late this time last year to work on it full time I broke the back of it then but obviously you know I took another two weeks in the new year Um, I was always fiddling and working with it and obviously it went through a lot of different drafts and then it had to be translated into Irish as well which is another story uh, that had nothing to do with me I'm not fluent in Irish but uh, the uh, the there was various different drafts, and a lot of people had had input into it, you know. But um, so we we would have start. I started in November nineteen in twenty sixteen, and uh, the book was signed off on in May. Uh, I think May, May or June of twenty sixteen. Which
1: doesn't sound that long for something. You know that, as I said, is such a big a big book with a lot in it.
0: Yeah, um, it, it, that is true. But there was a lot of people working on it, and as I said, there was myself and the core team of Ruth Egerty and Jeff Wilson. Then we had the designer Zero G, who were working on it all the time. There's not as much writing in it as you think because um, it's half of it is in Irish. So my input into it was approximately fifty thousand words, which is about half the the, the length of a non an average nonfiction book. Um, but they're, you know, they're, it really—it's like every other book. Ninety, you know, it's like climbing now Mount Everest. You get ninety percent of the t- way, uh, but it's the ten percent at the end that takes all the time. You know, with the editing and so on.
1: And obviously, I mean, you have form in this regard because you have written other books. Did yeah. that help in terms of of finishing this one?
0: Yes, I mean, I wrote a, a book in twenty sixteen called "Wherever the Firing Line Extends: Ireland and the Western Front," and um some there are similar themes in this i mean i'm really interested in memory and how people remember things and what that says about where we're at today i mean it's uh, to me I, as i said in this book the centenary book it's not about 1916 it's about 2016 it's about where we are as a people nowadays it's not a history book Um, and it's the same with wherever the firing line extends you know I I there are some uh, I mean the centenary book also includes the First World War it's important to state that because last year we had the commemorations for the Battle of the Somme the Battle of Huluk the Battle of Jutland and so on so they're all in that book so I think it it did it really did help me uh, wherever the firing line extends and also the fact that I had a book done my own book meant that this project Centenary wasn't as intimidating as it might have been.
1: But you obviously have a passion. I know you yeah. say it's not a history book, but you obviously yeah. have a passion for history. Well, you as have well. to
0: have, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I, 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 f- I find this period of our history, the decade of centenaries from 1912 to 1922, just endlessly fascinating. And, uh, You know, I think the people involved in that, uh, in in, in those years, that Irish generation were the greatest generation, whether they were fighting on the Western Front or in the GPO or whatever. They are people that we can, we will spend an eternity learning to understand.
1: Now, as you said, from a time perspective, you do have a day job. You are a journalist with the Irish Times. So you said there you had to take time off, obviously, to, to complete this book. Is it hard trying to combine that day job with some... An aspect like this,
0: yeah, it is. Well, I mean, I I'm, I'm well used to it because I mean, I wrote I wrote my previous book, which is 140 thousand words in the same time frame, or wherever the firing line extends. It's uh, it's amazing. Actually, when you're not writing a book, it's an amazing the amount of time you spend wasting. Uh, you know, just watching the TV <laughs> and looking on Facebook or social media and. Mooching around, you know, and
1: so this way you're putting your time to good use, yeah, yeah. So
0: it's, 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 um, you know, I, 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 I never begrudged myself the time I spent on any of these books. I mean, it's, it's, it is difficult, but you know what they say, and it's so true, you know, uh, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person.
1: But they are quite different forms of writing as well. I mean, a news piece for a newspaper can be anything from 200 yeah. words to a thousand words, um, whereas the book, as you said, is it's 400 pages, however, it was only 50,000 words, but one is long form, one is short. Short form, which do you prefer?
0: Um, I prefer the long form for obvious reasons. I mean, uh, the centenary book. Actually, my skills as a journalist were important in the centenary book. You know, because each of the chapters is about two thousand words long, and each of the contributions was about nine hundred words long. So I would have had a lot of experience over the years in succinctly putting stuff together and 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 doing it. Whereas with wherever the firing line extends, that was a very long book and uh, that too that was was a lot of I mean each chapter in that is about 10,000 words but I I prefer the long form frankly because I get a chance to uh, express myself better
1: And also another aspect that you're involved in is developing videos to illustrate the work that you're doing
0: Yes I used to be a TV producer with Sky and the BBC and uh, I was before I went to the Irish Times in 2006 I had been with Sky News I'd been a producer but I hadn't been an editor or a videographer but um, we had Um, uh, we we got training in uh, mobile journalism mojo as it's called in the Irish Times and and a light bulb went off in my head I've always wanted to make historic documentaries but obviously I wouldn't have had the equipment uh, uh, 10 even 15 years ago but now uh, it has been a revolution in videography as we know I mean I use on my iPhone I use a, a a, a, a programme called iMovie which where you can co- make a film you can cut a perfectly presentable film on, just on your iPhone so what I do is I borrow a Canon camera and I went around the Western Front when I was making my book wherever the firing line extends and Uh, uh, just filming uh, filming each of the chapters because I love that sense of place my book is about a sense of place and people want to know you know where was this place in the song and visually they Uh, can see it yes and they can see it and so on and it's been an enormous help to me in fact um, just see if I might tell you one short story and and it's got to do with both Wherever the Firing Line in Centenary I made a film about two brothers uh, the Malone brothers uh, William and uh, Michael Malone, uh, they were on opposite sides in the decade of Centenaries. William was killed uh, fighting with the British Army at Epe in nineteen fifteen, and the um, Michael Malone was killed with the Irish Volunteers at Mount Street Bridge in nineteen sixteen. And I made a film, and I, and I did a piece for the Irish Times about it. And I got uh, I got um, contacted by on post, uh, you know, asking me. To verify the identity, because they had seen my, the film I'd done, and as a result of that, um, there was a stamp issued last year for the Malone oh, brothers. Wow. Yeah, great. So, so it's just to show you that you know you do this type of thing, and you think no one's watching, and but somebody is you watching. Never, you never, you
1: never know where it leads. Yes, exactly. Are you writing anything at the moment, book wise?
0: Uh, no, I'm taking a break from <laughs> books at the moment. A well-deserved um, break. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, I, I, I will. I, I, I would. I would like. I have a few ideas in my head. Uh, uh, perhaps in the next couple of years, certainly, I w- would like to do more books around the decade of centenaries.
1: And you've mostly focused on non-fiction. So, what about
0: fiction? I've thought about that. I, I, I have to read more fiction before I, 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 I'd write it. um I, I I've, I've thought about writing fiction, but. The, the 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 problem for me has been the last two and a half years I've been immersed in this uh in, in, in history, you know, in in the decade of the centenaries. I mean I've I've you know, I've had to read an enormous amount for for both of these books, and it's a You could do a historical fiction based book. Yes, I, I've seen that done actually, and um, I, I, I I saw a, a lady by the name of Ellen Alden who took nineteen Civil War letters that her great Irish great great, great grandfather had written and wrote a beautiful novel around it called uh, uh, Yours Faithfully, Florence Burke. And I thought, God, that might be a way of taking actual historical material and writing a novel around it. And in terms of reading them, what do you normally read? Uh, I read an enormous amount of uh history books I read a lot of non fiction um I'm getting back into fiction I I I've, I was read uh, recently read uh, Sally Rooney's book uh, um Uh, conversations with friends which I thought was absolutely wonderful and I'm going to one of my New Year's resolutions is to actually read a lot more fiction and see if I could maybe do it in the future.
1: Great, we might hold you to that so. Ron McGreevy, thank you for joining us on Inside Books and don't forget that Centenary is for sale in all bookshops and it's also in your local library. And the next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE and if you want to hear other episodes of the programme, just search for Inside Books on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes. If you want to email us, it's insidebooks at uniquemedia.ie. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading.
0: Inside Books is a Unique Media production.